0: Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 429 of the JV Club with my boy of summer, Sean Devlin. What a delight and a joy this Sean Devlin is. And I say this Sean Devlin because, as you'll hear in the podcast, there is another fictitious Sean Devlin. And I don't care to speak about any further now for any of you who might not already be familiar with Sean he is a fabulous comedian out of Vancouver one of my favorite places in the world and he released his debut stand-up album back on July 9th with indie record label Arts and Crafts I'm talking home to Broken Social Scene Feist basically he's one of those super cool but super goofy and funny comedians that I sort of look up to and go, wow, I wish I were also very cool. Anyway, I think you'll enjoy this episode. Check out some of his other work and keep on having a sweet and safe summer. figure out I mean listen I have a very fancy cloth tapestry hanging behind me I love it but I I I do the 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 effect that you have of everything is just a a, a beautiful blur until it comes into frame up to yeah. and including the invisible magical like mug
1: a, a logo we didn't get the licensing for that's or right, something
0: that's right every but everything becomes yeah everything is sort of there's something very ethereal about it that sort of makes it seem like you're in heaven
1: yeah mostly it just covers up how messy this room is
0: uh-huh. it's it's everything is turned into a beautiful zen blob no yeah, matter what it is i'm <laughs> it's very envious great. that's very cool it's very cool how are you otherwise other than your messy home how are you
1: I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um it's summer here in British Columbia, which is my favorite time of year and why pretty much why I live here is for this time of the year.
0: Uh I love British Columbia as well and I would have to say that my favorite time of year is when the leaves change because I've never mm. lived at length in a place where that transformation occurred and I was in Vancouver like, weirdly, several times I was I was doing something right around Halloween. Like, I I feel like I've been oh, in Vancouver okay. for Halloween randomly, like, three different years.
1: Well, we're known. We're known for... We're a Halloween destination.
0: What a Halloween dest. <laughs> What a Halloween desk. Pete, listen, I saw a lot of real cute decorations. And yeah. then you got all the beautiful orange and red leaves on the ground. To me, it felt very special indeed. And I'm not a person, I'm, I don't, I mean, listen, I appreciate Halloween, but I don't know that I have a, a passion for it. So it was great.
1: Yeah, my, my downstairs neighbors still have their Halloween decorations up. They they put jagged fangs up around uh, the entrance to their uh, basement suite. Yep, yep. And they're still there.
0: Yeah. They realized that it made them seem tough and that it would be absolutely a burglar dissuader to have someone be like, look, I mean, I'm sure they're not real jaws uh, and real teeth, but if I have my pick and I could rob someone who doesn't have fangs, wouldn't I just do that? Wouldn't I just not take the chance in case (laughs) it is a sentient apartment that's going to eat me?
1: Yeah, that's a a risk you don't want to take. Yeah. And I just appreciate the decorating because, you know, during the pandemic, that's what we were all looking for was more scary things in public. That's right.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, this actually brings up something I don't think I've ever talked about publicly before, uh, but I am wonder. but this is a very nice segue and it will teach me something about you. Do you have like an active imagination about how you would handle being accosted by someone like in like in a dark alley or you know you're walking home f- through Stanley Park and it's very dark i don't know i don't know where you're walking home from stanley park is sort of a, a a place you would go only to be in stanley park but you know what i mean like you're like somebody jumps out at you and i don't know if it's like for me i will say the the sort of fantasy that's playing out i don't know that it is truly based in like a practical reality but it is something that i think about like especially when i'm walking around in san francisco during Sketchfest, like how how you would approach that would you like i would run away or i would i would think i would be able to defend myself somehow or maybe i would try to talk them out of robbing me like do you have sort of thoughts like that and this is all coming from the fangs in the doorway which i'll
1: explain in a second memories um, so I, I, I worked in the downtown East side, worked and lived in the downtown East side of Vancouver for several years. And at one point at night was approached by a man, um, who tried to rob me with a knife Ugh. and we were about the same size. So I wasn't physically scared of him other than the fact that he had a knife. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but you know, he just seemed so like he was just having such a hard time. Yeah. And I literally had no money on me. I had like a bank card. And so I just talked to him about why this was a really bad choice he was making and how he wouldn't get anything out of it that he was hoping for. And yeah, sort of talked my way out of that one. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So you kind
0: of read the room and he was, he seemed like a person that, like he, that you sort of said, you know, Man, I'm so sorry. this is not gonna go as planned yeah, i for mean you. I, i'm
1: I'm a cancer, so I feel like i I read people pretty quickly, yeah, and working in that neighborhood, you know, there was people that would come into this deli where I worked and sometimes try to like take money from the tip jar, for instance. and I just learned pretty quickly that you could talk to those people that they were in you know a pretty desperate situation, but they didn't want to be you know having to steal like that and yeah. so i got used to talking myself out of some of those situations i mean sometimes if someone's just totally hostile then i would you know straight up avoid them right um yeah so that was that was <laughs> that was that was several years ago though
0: <laughs> uh i can't believe i i mean you had a story you had a story about being robbed at knife point that ended in you rationalizing with somebody and them not doing anything that's a pretty incredible. I asked that because 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 i I have had things happen to me and I certainly did not like a lot of the things that have happened to me happen so fast i there certainly wasn't time to like plan anything, and perhaps that's why I sort of carry around this idea of being out in front of something for a change right. uh i've spent way too much time thinking about this i have i grew i when i was little i used to have horrible night terrors and i would have just you know the nightmares 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 and i and they were i would wet my bed like the whole thing and i had to teach myself how to wake up out of dreams and so i can now like if a dream is unpleasant Somehow my the relationship between my unconscious and my conscious is like, you're done and I'll wake up. <laughs> um, but part of that sort of part of that, like I, I, I what I'm trying is, is the strategy of that somehow got um, conflated with or just sort of ties into this idea of like being being crazier than the crazy or being like right. be, like creating a situation in which it, whatever you do is so unexpected that it's not violent. It's just so su- surprising and weird that somehow it puts someone off. And I have done that once when someone was like creating a situation in which it seemed that they were going to start a fight. Um I just started like, muttering like just muttering j- gibberish and they were so weirded out that they left that they walked away <laughs>
1: yeah yeah, that's beautiful. Um,
0: but that was not like a fully thought out which is kind of creepy that i didn't think about it it just sort of started happening but i was on this show where i called stand against evil that dana gould created and it was this sort of you know sean like it was sean of the dead like you know sort of ash okay. versus whatever and there was an episode in which i was i tr- got turned into a vampire. And uh, so I had they made these custom fangs, these like really impressive television grade <laughs> fangs. That's like a retainer that you put on and then you got your fangs and it really it's shaped to fit your mouth and look great. I can't tell you how many times I have thought to myself, I should start carrying those around with me. Yeah. If I'm going to be walking alone in the dark somewhere. And like I've, ha- I've played out this idea of, like, popping in my fangs when a gentleman is striding quickly towards me in the dark and I'm all by myself, and, like, hissing. Yeah. Like, I've really played that out. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I think that would probably work. Like, it would super freak someone out. I
1: probably to this. the point where they would
0: lurch forward and slit my throat.
1: <laughs> but, like, <laughs> yeah.
0: in my fantasy, they're just aghast and, like, somewhere in their mind they think it's real like they're like i knew this was going to happen to me someday when i was accosting yeah. someone someday i would cross a vampire <laughs> like there's a lot of assumption that's going on there how do you I, feel I, about I, that should I, I let that go what should i do should i start carrying no, the teeth i with think me? it's
1: a great idea and i don't have children but someday i hope to and i'm thanking you right now because i'm going to save a lot of money on karate <laughs> lessons because i'm just going to buy all my kids like fangs from the dollar store and be like that's it you're safe now <laughs>
0: What if they accidentally forget and buy a pair of wax lips instead and hope that that has the same impact? I'm not sure it would. Wax lips idiot, and gibberish.
1: If you That's combine true. those, that could That's be pretty true. good.
0: Yeah, because you'll start gibber you'll start gibbering, what? And then the wax lips will fall out and someone will be like, "Oh my god, their lips fell off." <laughs> yeah, and they'll I... run away cuz they'll be freaked out by that. That was the longest weirdest for me not knowing you at all. Like <laughs> I'm so, so but I I've been wanting to get that off my chest for a while, and I fe- it felt right that you said that they created fangs in their doorway and that I said it was a deterrent. And then I realized, oh, I'm thinking that these fangs are a deterrent because I've already had this whole rationale in my mind of fangs being a deterrent to crime. And that's where it came from.
1: We're only a few minutes in, and I think you've saved some lives already. So. Oh,
0: I'm so glad. Including those of your unborn children. I mean, this yeah. is – I'm future generations. Yeah. What a legacy.
1: What a legacy. This is a legacy episode.
0: <laughs> Are you originally from Vancouver or BC area?
1: I'm not. I'm from Ontario. I was born and raised in Ottawa, our nation's capital.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I moved to a smaller town with my family when when I was uh, 10.
0: And then Col- did you you were you lived like through high school?
1: Lived lived in a town called Guelph, which oh, is Oh my a- gosh.
0: That's so funny. I have a friend who lived in Guelph. Oh really? For many okay. years. Yeah, she was a she she taught there.
1: Um, oh, okay. I mean, she
0: lived in Guelph this time last year. She still lived in Guelph, and she just moved to the States to marry her the true love.
1: Wow, okay. Often people in the States don't know Guelph, and they just think it has a funny name, which it does. Um,
0: I always imagined it as being spelled like uh, like a Welsh. Like, in my mind, it was spelled in a very Welsh way, and then I found out that it was not spelled in any way like how I imagined it to.
1: Yeah, G-U-E-L-P-H. Um, yeah it's a strange, I guess it's someone's name, name of some guy. And uh, yeah, so I was there from 10 till uh, 19. And I definitely preferred living in Ottawa. But I got a I got, you know, the urban experience. And then I got this kind of small town, more rural experience. Yeah. And then I wanted to go back to a city. So I moved to Vancouver.
0: Yeah. Is there so you weren't there was no kind of Oh, I should hit Toronto or Montreal? Vancouver's you know, I actually wanted
1: to move to New York. I wanted to, uh, uh, so I work in film. I wanted to study filmmaking in New York. My parents wouldn't let me because they thought that I would get murdered. Um,
0: that was pre-Fang's. That was pre-Varney Fang's era.
1: Yeah. And that technology didn't exist yet. <laughs> and uh, so they thought, you know, Vancouver, it's still in Canada. For some reason, they thought it was safer. Um and yeah, didn't uh so I didn't I didn't move to New York. One of the funny things though is there's a book, I forget what it's called, there's a book published around the time when I moved to Vancouver about a young man named Sean Devlin. No. Who this is a novel who moves to New York to study film and then gets caught up in the psychosexual kind of bondage scene in New York. So when I first moved away from guelph i had told all these people at first I'm, I'm gonna move to new york and then of course that didn't work out but if you googled my name at that time one of the first things that would show up was this book about sean devlin moved to new york <laughs> oh, and is wow. now this like a uh, bondage guy
0: that sounds <laughs> like i it, it sounds like it could be like um what's his name martin amos or something the guy who wrote less than zero and like american oh, okay. psycho it almost seems like it could be Right. One of his one of his dark dark thriller comedy kind of things. <laughs> That's so random.
1: Yeah.
0: It's so specific. Um, it, but but also like as a person that is googling you like then then there's a sort of cognitive dissonance of like well this is a novel. Yeah. But how can I make this about my Sean Devlin because it has to be him? <laughs> like, yeah, how, do yeah. I, how do I reverse engineer this so that the book has now been written? But but like contemporaneously with you being in new york it's like it's being written it's like the never-ending story it's happening as it's being written
1: yeah it was it was like a choose your own adventure i got to see maybe what would have happened (laughs) if i had gone there
0: i'm sure that's what would have happened yeah I'm Without sure it is. Let me tell you, as someone who's been to New York many times, it is so hard not to slip into that world. You're always <laughs> right on the brink. You're always right about to slip into a psychosexual bondage kind of environment. It's like every pizza place. You're like, is this the one? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really glad that you dodged that psychosexual bullet. Um, and uh, and I will say, I've also been to Ottawa and. um My experience there and talking to people from there was, like, that's one of those kind of amazing cities where if you're not from a city that has a sister city across the river, it seems so crazy to have, and in particular Ottawa, the idea that you are on the brink of a river, there's a river, and then on the other side, there's a French city where you can drink at a younger age, like... That's so that's so specific. That's a really specific place to be a teenager. I know you weren't you were in Guelph, but did you ever go back up and visit friends who had the uh the the privilege of staying in uh in Ottawa for some uh Quebecois debauchery?
1: I I I actually experienced it when I was younger living there because so we lived in uh like subsidized housing and this housing project was Literally right on the Ottawa side of the bridge to, uh, to Hall Gatineau. Yeah. So I lived right at that bridge. Um, when I was 10, I wasn't really interested in, you know, crossing bridges to go get drunk, uh-huh. but, um, <laughs> definitely, uh, when I was, I think 17, no, it must have been 18. Um, some, some kids from my school, we, we took a road trip to Montreal to be able to go drink there legally. Yeah. And um yeah, it was it was a bit debaucherous. I went to a casino and gambled for the one and only time in my life uh-huh. because I thought, oh, this might be the way that I make money. And <laughs> I won some money and I thought, oh, okay, this is gonna be adulthood <laughs> is career. gonna be really easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and then I got so swept up in it that I when I lost money. I withdrew money from a bank, from an ATM and left my credit, my debit card Uh in the machine because I was in such a frenzied state. And so then I didn't (gasps) have a bank card the rest of this trip, um, which made it more difficult. (laughs) And so I've never gone back to a casino for that reason. Um, So that that was, that's a sign of how easily I can fall into some of these, you know, Scary subcultures, whether it's casino life or the bondage scene in New York, like I'm vulnerable.
0: <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's that's a really, I mean, I guess sort of being from Arizona, you would drive. I mean, people would drive to Mexico, um, so not like utterly dissimilar, but a much further way, a much bigger commitment than like oh, just right across the bridge there. Uh, so I find all of that fascinating, and and Guelph is pretty small. How how small is it? I think it, it was so about small. Maybe fifty
1: thousand people, forty thousand okay. people.
0: Okay. Is there a college there? Am I crazy? Is that there that is, is? Yeah, one of my both, friend. My both friend my parents Anna. worked there. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: So it's like a it's a college town, but it's a bit more rural. It's known as a an agricultural uh, a place of agricultural research. So like, oh. in in high school, we took a field trip once where. They took us to this place at the university where they studied cows (laughs) and I've explained this to other people because I thought it was something that everyone did in high school and (laughs) it turns out it's not. Um, They took us into this room with this cow that had a hole cut in its stomach. Oh,
0: sure. That's a thing.
1: Yeah, and it had this plastic rubber glove thing so you could put your hand in and touch its stomach.
0: Yeah, I heard about this on like Radiolab, I think.
1: Oh, okay. I think they did a story on that, yeah. We all were lined up and like every kid would get like 10 seconds to put their hand in this cow's (laughs) stomach and like touch it. And it took about (gasps) an hour at least for everyone to do it. weird. And when I reflect on it now, I guess what they were trying to teach us was that, you know, cows have several stomachs. Yeah. But- I don't. I didn't really need to touch the stomachs. Like they could have just told me, and I would have believed it. Like we didn't need to inconvenience that cow. More than inconvenience, mutilate like, that cow.
0: Yeah, that's that's really. I I wonder how many things like that are given to younger people before it really makes any sense to like. Because I have never thought about that before. But even just dissecting a worm or, you know, a fetal pig or whatever, we never had, we didn't have the high end stuff. We just dissected a worm when I was in high school. So that was about the, that was the highest life form that was, whose life was taken by biology. But I, I wonder, I mean, this is a, maybe it's a very controversial thing to say for, in terms of education and science, but I wonder how many things are like that, where it's like, you know what? At thirteen, I'm not sure that we needed to, you know, take them in to see a uh, human brain or whatever.
1: Like, yeah, I think they're just they're just filling time. A lot <laughs> of the, a lot of it is just filling time and trying in a in a rural community like that, just trying to make use of what you've got, which uh-huh. is a lot of livestock. <laughs>
0: And a lot of stomachs. More yeah, than stomachs. more than one per cow. More yeah. than one per cow.
1: I'll prove it.
0: <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights at a fact dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford.
1: Time to kick butt and chew gum. And I'm all out of butts.
0: Lindsay Cal. I'm a brutal Brit and my fists were made to punch and
1: hit. And how Lublin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of
0: its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. A lot of people I know on the sort of central and east side of Canada, the whole, like, we go to the lake culture um, is very pervasive is guelph like a place that you get away from to go to a cottage or is it so cute and bucolic that you stay there because some people might even come to guelph as their kind of cottage getaway
1: no you definitely you go an hour or two away to different um places with bigger lakes Mm -hmm. so there's a lake in guelph it's called guelph lake but it's (laughs) quite small (laughs) And so if you really want to get away, you go to a slightly bigger lake. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that was, a, that was a big thing in high school was, you know, getting permission from parents for a group of teens to, you know, drive out of town to a bigger lake where the risk of drowning is even greater, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah. And um, I remember in one instance, we met a bunch of boys from another town and just we shot fireworks at each other. So At each other. Parents, if you're listening to this, all of your worst fears come true.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know why we thought that was fun. Did anybody I get we just singed? I got, I there was a whole burn through one of my sweatshirts by, uh, I guess it was a bottle rocket. Mm, yeah, that doesn't,
0: yeah. Those, I, I mean, I think that is, it's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what people are afraid of that teenage boys specifically will do. That they will do in a place that where there's no supervision and that they will do with those items. Like that's yes. exactly only had only if you had popped out a glass eye right now and said and then <laughs> and then also once someone shot my eye out. That's yeah, the only yeah. sort yeah. of like hitting the perfect cliche of what people are afraid <laughs> of. Um and what about improv? Because again, I have so many Canadian friends who are like, "Oh, improv!" I started taking it when I was four. Um, I went to the Improv World Championships at age ten uh, in China. Like, there's so yeah. there's such a world of of just like top of the line kid improvisers. That is not a thing that is happening in the United States at the same time at the same age.
1: I was I was a bit excluded from that. So my starting comedy was it happened when I moved to Guelph because. In Ottawa, I lived in a neighborhood where it was mostly uh, immigrant families. So my mom had immigrated from the Philippines and I grew up with kids from Tanzania and Jamaica and just, you know, people from South America. It was really, really diverse. And then Guelph is just was much more white. And so that was a big change for me because I'd never experienced that before. And I became really kind of quiet and shy. And so I spent grade four and grade five cozying up to the most popular boy in class and I would literally Cyrano de Bergerac whisper jokes to this more popular boy because uh, yeah. I was too shy to say them
0: uh-huh.
1: but I would give him all these great lines and after like two years of that he had gotten so much more popular <laughs> <laughs> that like grade six was my coming out year that I'm like I'm gonna say my own jokes yeah. and get my own laughs yes and so I started to do that. And then we started to have theater in grade seven, theater class. And we did have an improv class, but it was mo- the, the class was mostly focused on drama. And the improv, I mean, I think I kind of ruined it because I'm not much of an improviser. I'm really more of a writer. Uh-huh. And so my approach in those classes was pretty identical to... Uh, Michael Scott in the office when he's Uh improvising and just ruining Uh every scene like I would walk into a scene and be like I'm in a race car like (laughs) just not has nothing to do with anything just trying to totally steal all the attention right and so the the teacher kind of stopped doing those improv things I think because (laughs) I enjoyed ruining them so much um so I didn't yeah. really get that kind of competitive improv games thing, but I do have like most of my friends experienced that as as teenagers in Canada.
0: Yeah. So you were subversive, the most gentle subversive, in that you were ruining improv games.
1: Yeah, ruining, you weren't like I
0: mean, you weren't like spray painting the hallways, or you know, I mean, obviously some people were shot at with fireworks at some point, but you're, but but you refused to play along. With, the, just play with the man. The improv the man. man.
1: I mean, technically that teacher was a woman, but yeah, let's let's say. Down the man. with the man. She, she was just doing what yeah.
0: the improv man had told her to. Yeah.
1: yeah. She was part of a bigger system of improv oppression. <laughs> That's right. Um, and you came no. in and
0: said, No, we're not in a garden at all. Stop yeah. that digging. Stop doing those things that people do in improv because they've forgotten how to be a regular person. Yeah. Just they, stop digging. We're in, we're on a racetrack.
1: Yeah. I did it. <laughs> Um, I definitely had that kind of, that kind of attitude and, you know, part of it, I'm sure there's things in in my childhood that I could trace back to, but in terms of just influence, it was that at a very young age, um, Tom Green was my idol. So Tom Green is also from Ottawa Mm -hmm. and long before he was on MTV or even he was famous in Canada for his show, he started with this public access show in Ottawa yeah. And so when I was about maybe 11, 12, I just thought this was the funniest thing in the world. And he was just this guy from Ottawa who was on TV. So it made me think like, oh, you can do this. Sure. And he would just go around, you know, messing with people in public. And I just thought it was brilliant. And so, you know, I can remember something I did in a, a biology class in high school where I was assigned to... Give a presentation on the disease rabies mm-hmm. um, i I'm pretty sure this is just something he did on his show. I just went to the shopping mall and borrowed my friend's uh v h s camera and he taped me putting alka seltzer tablets in my mouth and like drinking water and then just going up to old people and pretending like I had rabies um and then I just showed this video <laughs> as my my science presentation and The teacher asked me to quit his class, Uh but privately encouraged me. He said he thought it was funny (laughs) and that I reminded him of himself when he was younger (gasps) and that he hoped that something would come of it. But he told me to not be in his class anymore.
0: (laughs) You know what? It was too close for him.
1: It was like
0: just the conflict of this isn't useful for what I've done, but I also am face to face with my true dream. Which was to become Tom Green, yeah. Like, go fly away, fly <laughs> well, away. I, Don't get stuck like me.
1: Yeah, and T. I actually biology. remember his name. All of a sudden, now his name was Mister Stains. Oh, and so I think as a as rough. a guy teaching teenagers with a name like Mister Stains, yeah. he dealt with a lot. So I think like <laughs> he was like, if I can weed this guy out right away, um, it's just going to make my job easier.
0: <laughs> well, let's ask him what he thought. Mr. Staines, would you come oh in my here, please, gosh, Be
1: are <laughs> That would be amazing. Mr.
0: Staines. <laughs> uh it does that did you have that um relationship to most of your scholastic experience like until perhaps college if you went and and after that did you sort of feel like you were had more say so and you weren't As apt to be just assigned classes you had to attend and assigned diseases you had to cover.
1: I I definitely. What if they gave you something
0: else? What if they had been like glaucoma? Like would you? Yeah, that would have been harder. I might have just done
1: the same thing. Like (laughs) what is glaucoma? You foam at the mouth. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I definitely, I definitely early on in high school, because for me the comedy was a survival thing where it was like that was how I got people to like me. Um, and I pretty quickly realized, I think there's a similar thing when you become a comedian where, you know, there's all these levels of laughter, but there's the level of laughter where you're getting all the comedians in the back of the room to laugh Yeah, that in some ways feels like the best laugh. And so I, I quickly started to become obsessed with getting the students to laugh, but also getting the teacher to laugh. Because if you could get the teacher to laugh, you couldn't really get in trouble.
0: Yeah, And that's
1: so the that, loophole. Yeah, that's the loophole. So that kind of became this like high watermark for my class clownery, I guess, was was trying to get the, the teachers to approve it. And I remember you had um, Andy Daly on an episode and he was talking about how sometimes teachers would let him close a class. Like they literally <laughs> just ran out yeah. of- time yeah. and i had something really similar with an english teacher who had this rule that if you were late it was a, her class was first thing in the morning and if you were late she would pull a muumu out from under her desk and you had to wear this <laughs> muumu <moo-moo laughs> and deliver a monologue about why you were late
0: wow i like, I like st- this girl lady yeah. person yeah
1: and and so i was late all the time i'd walk to school in the morning and i would show up late um And once this started, I loved it. Uh So I just got to open every class. Like every day I got 10 minutes off the top. Just what do you got? Put this muumuu on, which obviously makes it easier to get people to laugh. And... This went on for a whole year, and I was, you know, I, I wondered as it was going, I was like, why does she keep doing this? It's definitely not, like, making me show up on time. Like, right. she's dumb. Right. And then, obviously, years later, I realized that she was just supporting these, you know, creative, performative impulses that I had, and I didn't really see it for what it was at the time. But but now I'm pretty grateful for it, because I got a lot of stage time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wish you that someone had videotaped those. I mean, that seems like it yeah. would be... That's some gems to brush, you know, brush off and put out into the world. It's just yeah. cr- like <laughs> cruddy, cruddy videotape of a kid in a muumuu. Just what else is going on? What else? What else? What else? <laughs> like, that's amazing. Wait, what What uh, subject was it? Was it English? That was English. Yeah. That was
1: English. That's, yeah. I
0: mean, that's your... I feel like my... Weirdly, like, my math and my English teachers were always the ones who... Had that were sort of the most creative, or I guess a little bit science, either math or science, I sort of lump in certain sciences. But those are the teachers that I felt like w- thought most outside the box and did kind of unexpected things and found creative ways to get kids involved with stuff. Um, and I always super appreciated that.
1: Definitely. That, that particular teacher, her name was Miss St. Jean, and she she really changed my life because in seeing me do this kind of stuff, this was my third year in high school in Ontario at that time. You had five years of high school. So I was halfway through and she saw all this interest I had in these creative pursuits. And it was a really, really big high school that I didn't even know had an AV club sort of section in this tech wing where there was all this video equipment and like radio equipment. And she brought me over there and introduced me to the teacher who was in charge of all that equipment. And from that point on, she privately let me submit things that were supposed to be written assignments, but she would let me do them as a performance or as some kind of recorded thing that I would do in the AV club. Yeah. And so she really just supported me in, in pursuing these things that, you know, it was even outside the curriculum that she let me break some of those rules to try my hand at all this stuff.
0: Yeah. And how long was it when you were uh, started doing comedy professionally until you could do it without wearing a muumuu?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a crutch for uh-huh. like basically <laughs> the first seven years. <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: muumuu guys, here I know, I know, but he is really funny. Let him, just yeah. let him. No, don't. He doesn't really talk about the muumuu. It's just there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that'd be amazing. Um, So you moved from this kind of diverse area to this more small and white Canadian uh, city. Did you, and you had said that part of the, the comedy thing was like a survival thing and getting people to like you. I mean, was there, did you have an awareness of being of a different ethnic background? Like, was that a big part of your mom's kind of parenting or what, like, how did that play into your, your upbringing? De- if, it, if it all,
1: my my mom. So my mom could speak Cantonese, uh, Mandarin, and Tagalog, and Cebuano, which is another <sighs> Filipino dialect. She could speak all these different languages, and she never taught me any of it. And cool, cool. cool. I learned many Helpful. years later that it was a kind of defense thing where she just wanted me to fit in as much as as possible. But I really didn't know. I'm mixed. My dad's Irish, Irish Canadian. And so I, the, I I do remember the first time that I ever felt out of place or something racially was in, in Guelph one of, in my first year there at uh, one of the first gym classes we had and everyone was playing soccer. And I was quite good at soccer. I played soccer all the time growing up and I thought, well, you know, this is a way to really make a great introduction to all these new kids. I'm like really good at this. And after a while, this boy on the other team who was losing, started calling me Ching. And he just started saying, you know, Ching, yeah, oh, Ching, get the ball, get him, go get Ching. Whoa. And then after a while, everyone on his team started calling him Ching. And then people on my own team, who I was helping win, yeah, they also started calling me Ching. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And I thought maybe, you know, there's they're confusing me with some other Asian kid named Ching, who I guess is really good at soccer. <laughs> damn. Um And uh, I slowly realized that they were actually trying to like hurt hurt my feelings because it didn't hurt at first. I was just confused. And then I remember, you know, in this town, it's probably different now, but at that time, you know, this middle-aged gym teacher, he doesn't have like anti-racism sensitivity training. He's not equipped to handle situations like this. And I remember he took me aside because I was new and he said, hey, son, how are you doing? I said, I'm okay. And he said- is your name Ching? because <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I was new, he didn't even know what my name was, and I was like, "No, my name's not Ching," and he was like, "Oh, okay," <gasps> oh, no. like he had a hunch, right? And then, and then he said,
0: already patting himself on the back, "I knew, yeah, yeah was like, Ching. I've, I've done good work today. His name wasn't Ching." <laughs> oh,
1: God. And then, uh, and then he, and he said, "Well, do do you like it when they call you Ching?" you know, he's just trying to learn. I kind of <laughs> yeah, appreciate him now. He's just trying to understand the situation. And I was like, yeah. well, no, I think I I just like my, my own name. And they were like, okay, okay. And then at the end of the class, I remember that the, the soccer game ended and he made all these students stand in a circle in the middle of the soccer field. And they all had to repeat his lesson for the day, which was just this gym teacher loudly going, Sean's name is not Ching. Oh, and then all these students have to repeat it in, in unison. Sean's name is not oh, Ching. No. And I remember seeing that and I just thought, you know, the curriculum in this town is really oh, strange.
0: <laughs> That's so absurd. That's such yeah. a testament to like, like me being bullied. Like I was bullied for a span of time in school and... No, like I never was. It was the cliche of like, please don't take action, please. Whatever right. you as an adult is thinks is going to be some sort of like repairing of the situation is absolutely. You just know, as a child, you don't even know what they're going to do. But this, this little gut inside you is like, this is going to be worse.
1: Yes. Like, what yes. I don't
0: know how I know this, but this is for sure not going to do anything good. <gasps> Sean Ping is not Ching,
1: <laughs> but it's it's also like in that town. I feel like there was so much ignorance that, it, in some ways, it's like the hate has to be specific for it to actually bother you. Mm. Like uh, because of my mixed ethnicity, I was just people were so confused about what I was there. So you know, I was called slurs for like people who are Pakistani, for people who are from Afghanistan, like just. You know the whole range of things. They're and are just, like, yeah, huh? just throwing
0: it out there, like yeah, are just throwing it out there. your feelings? Huh?
1: And it's so it's so off that in a way it kind of invites sympathy. I was like, oh, like uh, I'm sorry that you're not better at this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're trying yeah. to do, but, um, but yeah, definitely the comedy was was my way to basically control situations and control. Classrooms and and social dynamics was if I was doing something funny and obnoxious, um, you know there was no way to take me down because I was you know already being laughed at, but for reasons that I was controlling. Sure,
0: absolutely. And yeah. how did did that allow for? Were there was there any romance in your high school era?
1: No, the I mean my only story of romance is. It's it's sad, but there was a lesson at the end uh-huh. was that, so I'm an only child, so I didn't have any siblings to teach me stuff. Same. And my parents, who were very educated, never taught me anything about <laughs> the body, like... Except for the one time yeah. I was sent to go put my hand inside that cow. I, I knew more about how a cow's body works than my own body. And uh, at, at my high school, there was a. You have Tim Hortons, right, in the States?
0: Mm, no, but I,
1: it's I mean, its to, like a Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, as
0: you know, I'm very traveled and very seasoned, and I've been to oh, many yes, of Tim Hortons. Yeah.
1: You're cultured. You know yeah, about I've our I've been Tim to Hortons
0: Vancouver cultured. a few times. So,
1: <laughs> So we have Tim Hortons. It's like Dunkin' Donuts. But for the American listeners, Tim Horton was a hockey player who started a donut shop. And it's maybe the biggest industry in Canada. I don't yeah, know that for insane. a Yeah, it's insane.
0: There is a Tim Hortons everywhere.
1: There's a Tim Hortons everywhere. And well, you would love this as someone who knows so much about Tim Hortons. Mm. Guelph, Ontario is the community in Canada with the most Tim Hortons <laughs> per capita. Great. So I why? think we had 22. 22 of these in that tiny town-
0: That's just too many.
1: (laughs) And so there's a Tim Hortons across the street from my high school and you weren't allowed to leave the grounds of the high school, um, you know, during lunch. Right. But all the cool kids who smoked and skateboarded would go eat donuts. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: That's the spot you want. You definitely, if it's a franchise, you for sure want to get that sweet, sweet spot across the street from the high school. Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you want to be seen there with your Marlboro in your mouth, (laughs) eating like a crawler of some sort. That's a cool look for a 15 year old. And uh, so I would go over there to try to be cool to just, you know, hang out in the parking lot at Tim Hortons. And so around the time that I was 15, Tim Hortons introduced um, uh, bread bowls, which meant that you could get soup and chili inside a bowl made of bread. Yeah. And this became this craze with the kids was that if you were back at the cafeteria and you had a bread bowl, <laughs> it meant that you had been across the street. So it was like dangerous. and So great. And like risky, because if a teacher saw you with a bread bowl, they're like, yeah. <laughs> the cafeteria does not stop. that. Better, yeah, you,
0: yeah, have better you have a switchblade. Better you have a switchblade.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so- the so I started doing this. I started eating these chili bread bowls every day because <laughs> it was really you know increasing my cred. I was real, yeah. just, you know. Oh, Sean's Sean's always got oh. these chili bread bowls. He's so bad. And <clears throat> a- a- anyway, so I was eating all these chili bread bowls. This went on for weeks. Of course, I wasn't telling my parents because I wasn't allowed to be doing this. Right. And then around this time, I experienced. I don't know the scientific term, but uh, I know it is a wet dream. Yeah. My nocturnal first... emission,
0: I think might just be. Oh, nocturnal the... <laughs>
1: emission. Thank you. Yeah, that's much more proper.
0: Also, not important. Not important. I just, I guess I wanted to show yeah. off because. No,
1: you're right. I, yeah. I nocturnally missed <laughs> for the first time. And I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't know yeah. what was happening. Yeah. And I honestly to God, thought that these chili bread bowls had given me some kind of genital disease. Right. Like, I thought that... (laughs) which is both my parents were raised catholic so i think there's some kind of guilt complex oh, there God. that was like oh your dirty secret is now <laughs> coming back to haunt you at night in um,
0: sexual form
1: <laughs> in sexual form and so i just didn't know what was going on so oh. i stopped eating these chili bread balls uh-huh. like a quit cold turkey and did that work it it, it worked for a bit it did. which <laughs> which made me think oh good good but then they started happening again, and then, you know, eventually I was given some kind of sex ed class, and I learned what was going on. Yeah. But that was the closest I came to a sexual experience in high school, <laughs> was this, like, <laughs> this fling with chili bread walls <laughs> for a couple of weeks.
0: <laughs> listen, romance takes so many different forms and shapes. Uh, yeah. Far be it for me. Far be it from me. <laughs> it from me. But- so, but like, <laughs> not to go too like far down this road, but like, aren't they pleasant? I mean, do we do? I understand that it's like a bit messy when you wake up, but like, isn't it a pleasant experience? Like, it's. I, I say this is a, a girl who you know doesn't have that capability. I feel like I was always envious. I was like, oh, that's so cool that like you can get so worked up. Your brain can work you up to the point of orgasm yeah. in your sleep. Yeah. Without any hands involved, yeah. there's no manipulation happening. It's all up here. That was That's extraordinary. So I think I always, like, I don't want to say I had penis envy because I feel like that's not true. But uh, but that, that so, uh, you know, would you remember at least, like, I mean, yes, the experience of whatever caused that dream to happen was very pleasant. But at the end of the day, something is gone horribly wrong because look at me.
1: You're totally right. But I think what it just brings out is how in the dark I was because I knew the dream was enjoyable, but I didn't know that the situation when I woke up was related to the dream. Okay. Just because I hadn't been given any information. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought I was sick (laughs) from all these chili bread bowls. But. I really hope there's nobody listening to this right now eating a chili bread bowl. And if so, I'm very sorry. <laughs> just put a content really warning th- at the start. I of mean, this.
0: I you must know that the only thing I could anticipate, just in the back of my mind, was that your coolness would end up being like. And so, this one girl who really wanted a like I really thought this is going to lead to, or a boy, but like that it would lead to someone paying an interest because of those chili bread I could not have imagined
1: no I never would have anticipated (laughs) those chili bread balls were a romantic dead end I I certainly thought it was gonna increase my popularity you know I thought I was wooing many of the young women at this school by so boldly eating these chili bread balls and flaunting the school rules Uh um but no it didn't work out I think my my sense of humor and the way that I expressed it was too Maybe too weird, and well, you know I what? And Tom
0: Green was not a sex symbol. Do you know what I mean? No. Like Tom that Green. was definitely a situation where I remember I didn't, I never watched him, but I think my dad, who has a great sense of humor, but leans harder towards, like I feel like he had like an appreciation of the kids in the hall when I would watch it. I feel like okay. he'd be like, I get it. But he was very much like, you know, he was raised on like Mel Brooks and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he was still like joke, punchline, love the Muppets, like, got, you know, the stuff that, that I understood through him was a little more straight ahead. Although I think he did love Andy Kaufman.
1: Oh, okay, OK. But
0: I mean, that was a big kind of SNL thing. So that kind of follows suit. But uh Tom Green, I feel like that was my 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 introduction to Tom Green was like finding out who he was by virtue of my dad being like, oh, this guy. Like, what a, what an idiot, you know? He's so,
1: he just annoyed people, right? I mean, I (laughs) thought it was brilliant and I still feel like there's a lot of it that's really funny. Yeah. But, you know, the, you're right. He wasn't a sex symbol. And it was like Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. That was it. So when he was with Drew Barrymore, I was in high school and I thought, oh no, this, this works out. You know, you just need to stick with this weird comedy vibe. And if you do it long enough.
0: Yeah. But Eventually, she was not June a girl Barrymore. from Ottawa. You, he had to like yeah. get out there to a wider audience.
1: Yes, yeah. That
0: included as you, as many of us inevitably do, get involved with a third-generation Hollywood royalty member. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Who,
0: who was addicted to drugs at ten and sober yeah. by thirteen or whatever.
1: That's, you just gotta no find one that like person that at my high school in Gulf yeah. Ontario.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so did you go to like a prom or anything? Was that, was that a thing? Went, did you do that? I went to a that? prom. Yeah.
1: I have a pretty good, sad prom story. Great. No one wanted to go prom with me. And uh-huh. then eventually this girl from a younger grade asked to go to prom. And I was like, well, I guess, but you're not graduating, but you know, I'll take what I can get. And then found out that she had only asked me because her older sister was yeah. graduating. Yeah. And they wanted to do prom together.
0: Yeah.
1: And and she was
0: like, I'll find someone. I'll find somebody yeah, yeah. So, that'll get so me I, in so the door. I was that
1: guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I was the I was the prom ticket. And then she was much taller than me. <laughs> which, you know, whatever. People are different sizes and it's all beautiful. But she was much taller than me. And I think maybe the the most endearing part of my prom experience was that she wore flats. Yeah. Like to try and be A little less taller than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But she was still significantly taller.
1: Significantly taller. It didn't matter. I did a lot of
0: slouching in, in especially elementary school and junior high, especially. I did a lot of slouching and wore a lot of flat shoes. Um, Because that's very. But it's like,
1: why should you even have to just to coddle, you know, our fragile egos? I didn't know that at the time. I mean, I
0: think we were all slave to the man. Again, not the improv Mm -hmm. man in this case, which Mm -hmm. some may argue is much worse and much more severe. The improv man, don't even get me started. Yeah, (laughs) the regular man. You know, yeah. w- girls, girls are subject to that, all the same insecurities. So from my point of view, it was like, oh, I'm I'm an Amazon. I'm giant. I'm a giraffe. Right. I'm a dinosaur. Like, you know, whatever makes me feel gangly and big and and masculine or whatever, like part of that I embraced, but not when it came to, you know, like dancing at a dance. I, I had I Fair. felt the awareness of like, oh, I'm so big, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm so big so well, it was, it's not like it was did, ideal. You do for either. Did you do basketball? Did
1: you do? Maybe that's a cliche thing, to ask.
0: Uh it's not. I but I mean but yeah, I didn't. I mean I'm not 6 feet. I'm 5'10, but I okay. did get I became 5'10 fairly quickly. And uh and no, I didn't. I really shied away from sports I was good at sports um but I I think I really I really hated changing in the locker room. Like I was I had real right. body issues of, you know, I don't I this is uncomfortable and just the feeling of like this like sweaty i'm from tucson and so playing sports in even may you know may september like it's hot and being and then you go into the the locker room and it's like it's not well ventilated and it just smells like sweat and the floor is somehow always moist and they're just (laughs) there's just a feeling of like this this can't be good and then just and then just a a total self-consciousness and like i don't want to shower shower are you kidding me The shower? And I'm sure being bullied, like that certainly never happened in the locker room, but like having experienced that, once you know what it feels like to be bullied, you are definitely like on the lookout for when when might this happen again and what would be the worst possible scenario in which this could happen. Nudity. You know, like I don't want to be vulnerable in that way if somebody's gonna, you know, be shitty. Um, I, have, I
1: have huge respects for teachers and the public education system, but I think there's some poor design there because it's like, you know, high school is terrible for so many people because of bullies. And then there's this idea of like, well, let's put the bullies in the gym class with the smaller kids, yeah. get their adrenaline really worked up, <laughs> yeah. get them adrenaline pumping through their body, <laughs> yeah. and then make them be naked yeah. together. Yeah. Like, see how that goes. <laughs>
0: It's a really, really, really bad decision. You're right. I had never really thought of it in exactly those terms, but yeah. Well, because it's so competitive,
1: right? You've been competing and then you're naked. And so it turns the nudity into a competition because that was already (sighs) the context. Well, how about this? Did you so my high school, my the sex ed class I spoke of that I eventually got that, you know, (laughs) helped me learn so much. Yeah. Was taught by my gym teacher. Is was that a common
0: thing? I think so. It was either Mm. In high school, I feel like it might have been connected. Well, maybe that was just like, yeah, there was just a health class that. But you're right. I do have a there's a link in my mind. And I don't know if it's an outside link that's bred of like other people's experiences or movies. But I do have a link between phys ed and health class. So I think that was at play at least for one year. But I do remember being a health class up in the gymnasium above where I took dance. Okay, so maybe it was like my dance teacher, which is just a sub for, you know, that's just a substitution for phys ed because you could take dance in place of, of phys I ed. I feel like
1: based on nothing at all that I would want, I would prefer the dance teacher over the gym teacher Yeah, teaching me about the, the finer things about the human body.
0: Yeah. Marcia like the- Cheesman was the name of my Marcia Cheeseman. Not Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, Marcia okay. Cheeseman. And she was a delight. Okay, and so if you're listening to this, you're looking for
1: sex ed teaching, seek her Please out. Please seek
0: her out. I couldn't be more sure she's retired, but she may come out of retirement if enough yeah. people, <laughs> if enough, if a, if a change.org petition is <laughs> signed, may, she may rise up from the ashes of retirement. And yeah. Um, yeah, It's just what, such
1: a you, delicate thing, right? Yeah. So it's like, I, I feel like dance is good for that. We had, I, I don't remember his name, but I remember this you know middle-aged sort of surly man struggling with a dildo to like oh, put a condom on it yeah and everyone's laughing and oh, uncomfortable God. and he was the most uncomfortable like yeah. it's just
0: <laughs> oh yeah that's the worst i don't even remember that i don't remember i remember like yes i remember i think slot like a slideshow of godreya <laughs> Like, I remember a, slide show, horrible, a whole slideshow uh, of gunnery. i sort of like, maybe it was like, here are some different things that can go wrong if you're, yeah. you know, not careful. But I don't remember, I don't remember, like, ever seeing, like, a dildo. I remember seeing condoms. But I, what were they using? A banana? Like, what were they using? What would they have used to roll? It, or maybe it was, was, like, just two fingers and they would just, like, roll it down onto the two fingers or something? I
1: remember a fake penis, like, on a on a little platform yeah. that he had. And he was so uncomfortable with it. He was, yeah. he hated that he was doing this and we all are confused about why we were doing it. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we we all learned enough. You know, we got through it. We got through it.
0: <laughs> Which like, but like, I have to, listen, some of my younger listeners, you'll have to write me and tell me, do is that still how it's like, because now, you know, there's so many teachers who would specialize in human sexuality who would be so happy to be that, Positive, helpful, calming force who have whose job it is to show you how to put a condom on like they're very comfortable. They'll take any questions. You know what I mean? That that's that it doesn't have to be a thing that somebody who that's not their principal like desire or or their uh their forte uh that you know instead of somebody being like oh boy like every year i you know i have it circled on my calendar with like a dark cloud that's the day i have to start talking about sex ed
1: he draws a little penis on his calendar every year but it's not funny it's a sad it's it's a sad sad
0: day for him it probably has a frowny face on it yeah frowny face (laughs) yeah Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun.
1: Hey, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks. Thank Thank nice. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. We took the identifying marks off this podcast. Just tell me your impressions. It's really sexy. My
0: first thought is like Radio Lab. Definitely something popular. Yeah, really popular. A hit show. But funny, too. Like, does Tina Fey have a podcast? Or the Marx Brothers? Yeah, is this podcast Radiolab, but hosted by the Marx Brothers? And sexy, like Sade. It reminds me of Sade. Exactly. And they're all riding in a BMW. Close, but not quite. Take a look
1: behind these panels. (gasps) (gasps) And then watch Mm, this rocket mm, blast mm, off mm. into space. Whoa. Ooh. And
0: there's the pies we made you. Now, let's show you the podcast. Wow, it was Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? Hold on.
1: Whoa. Oh, my goodness. That was 514 J.D. Power & Associates Podcasting Awards. That was really scary. But compelling.
0: I guess I should definitely subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go. Um,
1: yeah. I'd say so. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast.
0: All right, I got to get into this mash game with you. Uh, for our first three things, I want you to give me, please, give me three. If okay, give me three classes. If you had to teach a semester of high school, three subjects. That you would accept uh, as something that you would be willing to teach. Do if you it had have to, to be
1: real or can I make up my own? Yeah, you can make up your own. Okay, okay. I would I would like to teach um Pratt falls. I would like <laughs> to teach kids how to do just funny Great. falling down. Yes. Um I would like to teach color coordination. Okay. In f- like in, in, in fashion. Yeah. And I would like to teach um Something artistic, let's say, let's say improv, even though I am totally unqualified.
0: That's what's going to make it a, a super special improv class because everybody can teach it the conventional way in yeah, Canada. Yeah. It's like, I'm making yon, this class up right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how it's meant to be done. You want to do improv, buddy? Okay. Next one, let's do three movies that you can jump into and you're just in that world. It's not that you're reliving the plot of your character in it, but it's a sort of access into the feeling of this world in a movie that you enjoy.
1: American Pie.
0: <laughs> Great.
1: The first, the original. Yep. Yeah. Ghostbusters. Great. And Back to the Future. Great.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Let's do three artists, and that can be a filmmaker, a painter, a writer, a songwriter, whatever. But three artists, living or dead, that you would love to collaborate uh, uh, on something with.
1: Wow. Vincent Van Gogh. Great. Pre-cutting his ear off.
0: Yeah. You don't want to. Things got a little out of hand there. You want to get him pre, two ears. I'm going to put two ears. Two ears. Great. I'm just
1: going to go with Ninja Turtles for the rest. So I'm going to say Michelangelo Uh and Leonardo. Great. (laughs) Da Vinci, Uh, I don't know what Michelangelo's last name the artist was, but the guy that painted ceilings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What is his last name? Oh, no. Everyone just says Michelangelo. Yeah, (laughs) it sounds like it's two names in one. Maybe that's why we just felt like let's not we're not going to go overboard and say yet another name. He's got two names already. Uh, Okay, next one. Let's do three foods that in this alternate reality we're creating. uh, Everything is sort of great for you. Nothing has too much sugar. Nothing is bad for the environment. uh, Nothing. You're not allergic to anything and you can have it at a snap of your finger. So it could be a chili bread bowl. Um, no one, no chili is harmed in the making of that chili bread bowl (laughs) and you could have it and never feel sick. Um, you know, or it could be like this one cookie that you had this one time in this place and you've never been able to find it's, it's likeness.
1: Let's say, um, chili bread bowl, great. a junior bacon cheeseburger, which is a product from Wendy's. Great. And one time I ordered pasta in a restaurant and when they brought it out, it was hot in the pan. And then they took it over to a giant Parmesan cheese wheel that had a hole in the middle of it. And they put the pasta in the cheese wheel Wait, and they really? stirred it. What? Yeah, yeah. And they wow. stirred it around and then they took it out. And that's how they cheesed it up. But I mean, that cheese wheel was just sitting in the middle of the restaurant. So it's definitely a pre-COVID thing. I don't know <laughs> post-COVID if people will be into that.
0: So the cheese... W- it's but a- how is the cheese... I mean, just because it's like the, there are flakes of cheese within the cheese wheel that somehow the pasta gets it on. So, it?
1: I mean, I guess it's a recurring theme here. It's basically like a cheese bowl because right. it's a big wheel of cheese that okay. has like a bowl in the middle of it. Yeah. And they put your sizzling hot pasta in it and they mm-hmm. just stir it around oh, so, so, so the it cheese, melts
0: the cheese. Yeah. It, right up the It slowly melts the, the cheese pasta. bowl.
1: Got and then it. they take it out.
0: Got it. That might be too much cheese for me. I guess you can control yeah. Are they like, well, tell, us, tell us when to stop. And then eventually your pasta is cooled yeah. Yeah, and it's just going. stuck to keep the bowl. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I love that. So I'm going to say pasta slash cheese bowl. Uh, great. Okay. Uh, three people. I don't. They can be characters from books, comics, movies, actors, films. Uh anybody living or dead from any era or people non-existent for romance/sexy slash sexy times in this mash world?
1: Me for romance. Mhm. Jessica Rabbit. Great. From Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Uh April O'Neil from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Great. And damn, what was her name? The shortest, oldest golden girl. Yeah. The Estelle Getty? Estelle Getty. bet her,
0: whatever her character's name. Because she was so young, but the golden girl she yes. was playing was so old. Yeah, but I only learned that like last
1: week that she was oh, yeah? played the oldest, but yeah. she was one of the young. Yeah.
0: yeah. Why am I blanking on Estelle Getty's character's name? Ooh, I'm going to get into trouble for that.
1: Yeah, she was great.
0: Estelle's GG. <laughs> great. Okay. All right. Next one. Th- let's do three modes of transportation that can get you places that are v- very unconventional. Okay. So I'd like you to throw bicycle, car, out the window and just come come up with other fun ways that you would like to really get around.
1: Um, I had I once had a pair of roller skates that was made out of running shoes that had had roller skate bottoms fused to them. Yeah. I don't have them anymore, so I would get those back. Great. Um I'm I've been really interested in these hover not hoverboards I don't know what you call them there's I see a lot of young men on these platforms that are electronic and then there's like a wheel and they
0: I think it is called the hoverboard.
1: Is it called a hoverboard?
0: Yeah, because I, I not to name drop but Adam Savage uses one in San Francisco and okay. I I couldn't accept that that's what it was called because there was a wheel. Like I was like, no, if you calling like something a hoverboard it's i want to see it hover like i don't yeah, i need it no. to not to be touching the ground but i'm pretty sure that nonetheless it's called a hoverboard so it has great. to
1: yeah. as as an aside i knew a boy in grade 4 whose name is Ryan Thompson and i'm outing him now who when he came back to school in grade 5 he told everyone that his family had gone to england that summer and that he had used a hoverboard uh-huh. like in back to the future he yeah. just straight up lied uh huh but he made us all believe that there was hoverboards in England, which there clearly are. not I've been there since. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the first thing I asked.
0: First of all, I want to say, Ryan Thompson, you're very lucky because there must be five million Ryan Thompsons <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the world. So this guy is going to get away scot-free from this whole thing. <laughs> Certainly my podcast is not going to get him in any kind of trouble. Second of all, interesting that, like, did he really go to England? So it's not that he chose England, like, because that's not what I would, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be yeah. like, who would have hoverboards? What's believable? Yeah. England.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. probably, probably all of it was a lie. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, my last transport thing, I'm going to say street luge from the X Games. Like oh, not great. ice luge, but the luge that's yeah. like a, you're lying on a skateboard that's going great. too fast. great.
0: Great. Uh, Okay. Uh, Second to last category. Let's do three uh, alternate universe professions um, that, however unrealistic they may seem, uh, for whatever reason, that you can indulge in. And it's just like only the good stuff. There's no bad part of whatever it is.
1: Great. Um, Lawyer. My mother always wanted me to be a lawyer. Great. So I would be a lawyer. You came so close. I want to be a star attorney. I want not just lawyer. I want to be like a lawyer with a name that Uh people know.
0: Yes.
1: Um, Famous
0: lawyer. Famous
1: lawyer, (laughs) (laughs) and um, uh, a a sensei. Great. Like someone teaching people. I guess that's karate.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And. I'm scared of height, so I don't actually want to do this. But in another universe, maybe I'm someone who professionally operates hot air balloons. Oh, Why great. Not?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because we will take away. The fear is gone if great. if that's what you're doing. So, yeah. Great. Great great and then let's do for our final category three let's do uh okay so give me three pairs of cities that are nowhere near each other but in this world we're creating for you like Ottawa and uh, okay. <laughs> okay and I and I say that as a person who took many years of French but I've just already forgotten what that city is um <laughs> it's beautiful it's it's on the other side of your river. Um, But so you can put like Paris and Tokyo across the river from each other. You know what I mean? We're going to give you access to move these cities so that they're side by side. And then, you know, probably we'll give you a little place in one of them.
1: I'm going to say Paris, France, and Dallas, Texas. Great. I'm going to say, hmm, Melbourne, Australia, and some city... In Antarctica, I don't know uh-huh. any of the cities there. <laughs>
0: I mean, is there are there even cities, or is it just like McMurdo Station?
1: Yeah, possibly? there's a port or yeah. like a flag. The yeah. flag in Antarctica. Flag. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and I've never been to Tokyo. I'm going to say Tokyo and New Orleans.
0: Great. Much to the shock of all of the citizens of those cities. This would be very yeah. exciting. Uh, okay. Give me uh, give me a word to describe the, the just the experience of eating um, the cheesy pasta that you had that one time. Like if you could just only use one word. Ooh. Thick. Great. Okay. So while I conduct the math, the sophisticated math that comes along with these MASH games, will you please tell people about uh, everything that they should be doing, consuming, and enjoying that come from your brain?
1: Oh, great. Sure. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, first things first, go to my website, SeanDevlin.website. And when you go there, you can find my comedy album, which was recently released. It's called Airports Animals. Um, and you can get that there on Bandcamp and through another, you know, other means. Um, I have some films there that you can watch um, through iTunes on streaming on Amazon Prime and all of it's at uh, at my website, SeanDevlin. website. You could follow me on Instagram if you want to see updates on my work and also just photos of stuff I'm gathering from my garden and my dog. Um, and my Instagram handle is shawnee, S E A N Y dot Devlin. Um, and I'm done. done? Yeah, you can stop vamping if you want, but that felt like it timed out very well. I really
0: feel like it was, it was perfect timing. Okay. Uh, I feel good about this. I think you will as well. Uh, look, MASH stands for mansion, apartment, shack, and house. That is totally outside of my control. You did end up with a shack. Um, but your shack is somewhere in the Twin Cities area of Tokyo and New Orleans, which I have to say of all those combinations, that would be the one that I'd be most excited about. So I feel like, uh, that's going to be an amazing adventure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess you have a booming hot air balloon business, uh, perhaps out of one of those (laughs) outlets, um, very exciting uh, to get like to be the person who lives in the Twin Cities area of Tokyo and New Orleans, who is going to get to his professional hot air balloonist job via street losing.
1: I mean, wow. that's an exciting guy. Yeah, that's that's exciting. an exciting
0: guy, and that also feels like it, he's a guy that it, people in both of those cities they're gonna want to know. Yeah, they're gonna be like, oh, <laughs> you, you know, he street loses, he street loses at a dangerous speed. To then float into the heavens.
1: Yeah. Wow, I mean, it's a, cool. I like it's a real yin and yang. It's a
0: real yin and yang. So, what else can I tell you? I feel like, uh, listen, what could be more helpful in your collaboration with Michelangelo than a hot air balloon? You're going to be able to paint some of the tallest oh, ceilings. I'm
1: perfect. talking ceilings
0: no one's ever been a- able to paint before because yeah. they just couldn't reach them. Yep. Now you've got the <laughs> balloon to do it. So
1: it's going to be great. I love this.
0: I don't know how physics works, but it's going to be great. Um, so you have this collaboration with Michelangelo. Um, fittingly, uh, you're going to be raising a, quite an appetite with all of these adventures that you're having. And you are definitely going to want to dig into one of those thick, warm, cheesy <laughs> pasta bowls. <laughs> with Michelangelo. Uh, He's going to love that. He is going to I'm gonna stereotyping love- there,
1: but... I think Michelangelo liked pasta.
0: Absolutely. I feel very comfortable agreeing with you. Um, And so all of this is all going on. But somehow you've also managed to find time to teach a semester of color coordination to students, which is going to be very, very handy. I could see you even using some of your balloon coloring examples. It's like step outside, kids. You see how this pink and this green work side by side on these two panels of my hot air balloon? Yeah. You, get out of there. You are not authorized to be. Oh, no, you're taking (laughs) off. What? Is this going to be a problem for me? Okay. That just got real. Um, (laughs) It got real. And then once you know, listen, you're gonna need a place to escape from after that kid stupidly goes up in that hot air balloon and then tumbles out. So So you're gonna have to disappear. Rest assured, you can disappear into as long a vacation as you want inside the movie Ghostbusters.
1: Oh wow! Which also brings you into New
0: York without, like, the only thing you're battling in that New York is just a bunch of ghosts, not the S and M. I'm like sort of
1: scary, sexy Sigourney Weaver.
0: Well, that's true. She's the closest thing to the psychosexual danger that would have awaited you in Sean Devlin's novel, My
1: Destiny. Yeah, psychosexual drama in New York City. Yeah,
0: I think I I do want to say that that had an influence on my idea of what was sexy in a way that like Playboy magazine was like too late to change, which I'm very proud of. Totally. Because her. Becoming sex like her becoming sexy, being like heavy brow, like dark circles under her eyes, and like chiseled black lines for her cheekbones. I was like, that is hot. Yeah. And I was a goth as soon as I could possibly get there, which was thirteen. <laughs> Couldn't get there fast enough. Um, this has been so much fun. Oh my gosh, the time <laughs> this has was flown. Lovely. I had a great time. Uh, you are, and I will say this for anyone who's not familiar with Sean already, you are. Kind of like a comedian's comedian and you are a person that is sort of the darling of all the people that other people look to that are like the like the arbiters of taste. Do you know what I mean? Like you're oh, sort that's of
1: so nice. Thank and you. so
0: uh, you did it. You totally did. it. You made the teacher laugh. You know,
1: ah, uh, thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, the last thing I will offer up as an option for my Boys of Summer series, since I only interview uh gentlemen in the summer, is if you have any sense of Don Henley's Boys of Summer, that song, I invite you to sing a snippet of it. Um, I
1: don't, I and don't. It's,
0: you're you're among the majority, <laughs> I would say most people do not have a relationship to that song. Um, if there is any oh please if you would like to give any rendition that you can that you want at all not knowing anything about it you're
1: welcome to i also can't sing so this will be way off um we're the boys we're the boys we're so sweaty and the sun's out late let's go swimming (laughs)
0: that's nice. <laughs> I like that. That was that's sort of turned into like a Ray Bradbury poem. Like the, right. is, but that, that I think was like actually word. yeah. I really liked it. Um, <laughs> thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone. And no surprise, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is "Back Before We Were Brittle" by the amazing Say Hi.
1: Hey, remember one. We could save kittens from trees. or lunch on skyscrapers, bring the villains to their knees. Maybe we should.
0: MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.